This is Democracy, a podcast about the people of the United States, a podcast about citizenship, about engaging with politics and the world around you, a podcast about educating yourself on today's important issues and how to have a voice in what happens next. Welcome to our new episode of This is Democracy. This week, we are speaking with Isabel Karumatori. She's an elected member of the Bundestag, the German legislature, from Mannheim. Uh, She was elected to this office in 2021. Before that, she served as a city councillor in Mannheim. And she's a member of the German Social Democratic Party of Germany, which leads the current coalition government in Germany. Uh, Isabel is involved in a number of policy issues. The issue we are going to discuss today is the rise of right-wing extremism, in particular a group known to its uh, followers as the Reichsberger in uh, in Germany. And we're going to talk to Isabel uh, about this group, about the right-wing threat in Germany, and what uh, German leaders uh, like her are doing to protect democracy. Uh, Isabel, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for inviting me. It's, it's our uh, honor to have you on. Before we go to our discussion uh, with our distinguished member of the German government, we have, of course, uh, Mr. Zachary's scene-setting poem. What's the title of your poem this week, Zachary? Chickens That Won't Die. Chickens That Won't Die. Okay, let's hear it. Like you, I have counted bottles as they line up on the wall. I, too, have sent telegrams seconds before the fall. I watched as they burn the Reichstag to the ground. I was there. I wrote my name on a pillar that I found. Like you, I remember history, but I try not to forget. I too have counted memories, dear friends who lost a bet with destiny. I have spent too much, but I have paid my debt. I was there when Berlin fell, watching from a bike, the pen once more mightier than any sharpened pike. So still believe in the old farce. Still breathe the old lie. We will be on your step some day with handcuffs and a long sigh. And one day you'll wake up in a land that seems alight, but it will not be your fire, for we've already won the fight. Oh, release me. Release us from these chains we have erected. Right and wrong run through us, all of us bisected. Oh, release us. Release me from the ghosts of memory, coming home again to roost like chickens that won't die. Oh, release me, release us, once and for all, goodbye. Eventually, you must remember how terrible the lie. <laughs> wow. What That's is the... Gave me chills. <laughs> me too, Isabel, me too. Uh, Zachary, wh- what's the metaphor of chickens that won't die? Well, I think it's, for me, what I find so uh, hard to understand about the Reichsbürger is, and, and, and the far right in Germany is, is how how someone could so blatantly ignore the lessons of history um, and, and how someone could completely disregard uh, memories that are still so recent. Um, and also how one can somehow find the motivation to, or not the motivation, but the, the, the hatred in themselves to, to, to keep fighting for a cause that seems so obviously to have lost already. Right. Right. Well, I think, Isabel, that's a perfect place to, to turn to you and your expertise uh, on this matter. Uh, this group that I, I think uh, earlier this month, um, more than 25 people were arrested in a raid that occurred in multiple cities. What, where does this group, this right-wing group called the Reichsberger and other affiliates, where do they come from? Who are they? 
Yes, it's a very interesting group because it's very heterogeneous. And not all of them are right-wing, but an important part is and a very dangerous part of this group is. But what constitutes this group is they're actually anti-constitutional or revisionist and they reject the legitimacy of our modern German state. So they basically believe that this Bundesrepublik Deutschland, as it exists now, doesn't really exist. And um, they believe that the Deutsche Reich, the German Reich of 1937, is actually um, the legitimate state that we live in right now. And they reject the peace treaty. They say it's not, there was re not really a peace treaty. And they have like a lot of interesting legal arguments why they believe that our uh, Grundgesetz, our constitution is actually not a real constitution. So they reject the state and all the parts of it, the democracy and all its institutions. And some of them are a bit cuckoo. I mean, they're all a bit cuckoo, but <laughs> in, the, in the sense that they basically, um, don't pay for fines. They reject all type of, you know, official government um, letters they get or taxes they have to pay. They reject that and they even, you know, go to court against uh, local government, against federal government, because they say that the state basically doesn't exist, doesn't have a legitimate ground to stand on and to expect to, for them to pay taxes, for example. And and before we spend more time uh, understanding what you explained so well about their belief structure, who are they? Well, they they're people all over Germany who are caught up in this belief. And um, interestingly, uh, I, I think it's really hard to pinpoint, you know, a, a certain demographic. They are really in the midst of the society. So the people who were now arrested for this attempted coup most notably was a, a German prince, so to say, so a member of the um, long-gone German aristocracy. But there were also people who were uh, lawyers, doctors, uh, members of um, armed services, and uh, police members even. And and what draws them to this? I mean, maybe the German prince, it makes sense. He wants to regain his <laughs> aristocratic standing. It seems so uh, anachronistic. Uh, but in general, what is it that draws people to what does sound like, I don't know, um, almost a ridiculous position? Well, we think that a lot of them have been radicalized, you know, by um, all type of conspiracy theories especially this past years with Corona and um, people spending too much time maybe online, um, they start to find these theories that for them explain a lot of things that maybe they don't understand and they reject. But this group in particularly, and a lot of Reichsbürger have a, a right-wing um, belief system. So they're not just you know anti-state, but they're also right-wing extremists. And um, so they have a, a, an affinity to fascism and some of them to the Nazi period. And I idealize this, this kind of a thought. So they are partly of that scene, but there are also other parts that are yeah, esoteric uh, scenes that have maybe beliefs that are into the magic world and... Um, believe in symbols and astrology and 
it, it, it's so it's a very uh, like I said heterogeneous group but what unites them is really the rejection of our state and our institutions and why now why do you think we're seeing this kind of uh, organized or at least semi-organized violence or or plotting uh, in Germany today in this moment well I think um, it's not only that we're seeing it today I think that especially this government and our interior minister that is a social democrat has maybe also put a bigger focus on this group. So that's why um, this raid also happened. Because in the past, we've seen that especially right-wing terrorists and extremists have been a bit under the radar or maybe underestimated. Because I, like I explained earlier, a lot of these Reichsburger people are really kind of cuckoo and kind of fighting with their local mayor about, you know, parking fines and stuff like that. So it lends to not being taken seriously as much as they should be taken seriously because there is a part of this group that is, you know, hoarding weapons and training for armed combat. And, um, yeah, we had a, a conservative government the past 16 years with uh, almost exclusively, I believe, a conservative interior minister who were always a bit reluctant to really address and say clearly that the biggest threat to our democracy comes from right-wing extremism, and they are part of that threat. And now we have different politics in place um, that I think um, just has shed a light on something that was already there. It seems to me, Isabel, as well, that the uh, having a, a government that's not a conservative government has inspired some of these actors to perhaps plan for more violence. As I understand it, they had a plan to even try to assassinate the Bundeskanzler, the leader of, of your government. Is that correct? That probably played into it, although I will say that in the past, these types of groups have also uh, assassinated conservative politicians. Who um, There's a one famous one, Walter Lübcke, who was a, a local politician who helped a lot, you know, in the refugee crisis. Uh, to, he was very, you know, uh, engaged in helping refugees and managing the whole thing. Um, and he was murdered by right-wing extremists because of that. So I will say that I think it does tackle all of democracy and they had they found lists of politicians that they wanted to to kill and there were also conservative politicians on that list. So maybe it did you know inspire or help them gain new members but they are so extremist that even you know for them the conservative party is also part of the the problem. And and how many people are we talking about um, here? The um, security services services estimate that there are like twenty thousand people who belong to this uh, to this scene, and about two thousand of them are, uh, you know, dangerous and more violent prone. However, uh, there's also a probably a large number under the radar. As a, we, we also believe that it could be much more than that. Sure, many sympathizers maybe also, right? Yes, and also in the past few years, this group has gained a lot of traction and also, you know, fame actually, um, because uh, Corona was kind of helped them spread their ideas. A lot of people, like I said earlier, online, uh, you know, reading up on uh, conspiracy theories and all the measures that were taken to combat the, the pandemic were sometimes very restrictive measures. 
would feed into this idea of that there is a deep state, that there is a conspiracy, that a lot of people who were rallying and protesting against Corona kind of found their way into this group. And these groups were always also present in this anti-corona measure rallies. Um, there seem to be uh, a lot of connections uh, between the more extreme and esoteric uh, beliefs of the Reichsburger and uh, some of the bigger conspiracy theories in the United States and in American politics. Do you see a sort of international uh, element to this, maybe a, a, a big uh, connection, at least in terms of ideology, between the far right in Germany and in the United States? That's a very interesting question because I, I do see that, but that's a new development. So this Reichsburger, as it started, is a very German thing because it's very much rooted in our history and how the territories after the Second World War were divided between the Allies and the the, the process to b write the Constitution, which they think it was flawed and it doesn't hold up in court. And so it's very rooted in German history, very specific to our history and also the div division of Germany that um, they kind of draw for their ideology from that to explain why the, why the German state isn't legitimate. However, in recent years, you see that there have been connections to an international scene and they also kind of latch on to this QAnon and deep state conspiracy theories and are... Um, a federal public persecutor who led the rally, uh, the raids to this uh, group, in his statement, very explicitly says that uh, they have ties to QAnon and deep state, and he says deep state in English uh, in the in the press release, uh, conspiracy theories. So we do see an internal internationalization of uh, this kind of thinking and uh, yeah, this right wing extremism. And, and just to go into a little more detail on that, if you can, uh, do you also see active cooperation between members of, let's say, the Proud Boys or other groups that have been now convicted in the United States of conspiracy and treason? Do you see similar uh, direct connections with the German group? I can't really say whether this particular group who was uh, uh, raided now if there is no known direct cooperation, we know from the right-wing uh, extremists in Germany in general uh, and their political arm, which is the AFD, we haven't talked about that yet, but one of the people who was raided was actually uh, in the past a legislature, a uh, member of parliament. She was basically a colleague. Uh, I wasn't a member of parliament then, but she was, and she was for the AFD, and she's still an AFD member, and she was part of this conspiracy. So um, I would say that the AFD is the political arm of this group. And they we know that they have a very uh, intense, um, you know, exchange with right-wing extremist group in the U.S., but also in Latin America and Eastern Europe and other parts of the world. And they have workshops together and they meet for, um, you know, um, exchange and learning, cooperation of all sorts. Isabel, that was a very strong statement you made that, that uh, one of the parties in the Bundestag, in your parliament, Alternative uh, for Deutschland, AfD, that they are 
they are actually a partner with with these groups. What does that mean? I mean, doesn't your constitution prohibit those from serving in public office who have terrorist connections? Well, that's what we are discussing right now. I mean, to prohibit a party in Germany, it's very, very difficult. That's kind of something, a learning from our history that political parties are very much protected uh, because in the past it happened so easily that political parties like mine were uh, prohibited by the Nazis. However, we now have like a very an active member of this party who was a parliamentarian who participated in a coup d'état or in a planned coup d'état. Um, obviously, this is an individual person. You you would have to show that this uh, seeps into the party as a whole, and there were plans in the party to support this. And then maybe you would have grounds to prohibit them. However, we do feel as social democrats that. Uh, there is sufficient grounds to uh, put them on the watch list of the security services, which in some regions of Germany is already being done because the AFD is in some parts more extreme than in others. And they are already being watched by our Verfassungsschutz, which is our uh, you know uh, office that kind of protects our democracy against extremism. And But we call for them to be observed by the Verfassungsschutz uh, nationwide. Uh, of course, that only contributes to more of their conspiracy theories, right? Obviously, that's always kind of the tricky part about it. Uh, why in the beginning, maybe we were even too lenient with the AFD because every action you took against them, even simple things as uh, not renting out, you know, public spaces to them for have to, for them to have their meetings and things like that, always by them could be interpreted as, oh, there is a conspiracy against us and there's no free thinking and no freedom in Germany. However, I think this raid again showed us that they are really dangerous threat to our democracy. And our history tells us that a democracy uh, has to be uh, defended, actively defended. But uh, in Germany, at least in parts of Germany, there seems to be, in, in certain populations, a strong base for the AfD. Uh, where do you think that comes from? Why are there so many Germans who we would hope uh, have learned their history uh, who are willing to support a party like this? Where, where do you think that comes from? Oh, you're asking like the, <laughs> the ultimate question, you know, why, why do people support this kind of thinking? And um, there is not an easy answer. I mean, what is clear that in areas in East Germany, they are much stronger than West Germany, which there's a number of explanations for this. Uh, obviously, East Germany still uh, lags behind in terms of economic development, and uh, they suffered a lot, you know, first as being part of, you know, the East German state, but also then in the reunification, some areas did not profit. They, uh, young people left the area. They're just basically older people left, uh, who stayed there or the people who feel kind of they were left behind and did not participate in this, uh, you know, pros prosperity of the unification. Um, there's maybe also, you know, a lack of democratic awareness having lived in an undemocratic state for so many decades themselves. Also, the, these institutions that we have built up in the Federal Republic of Germany who, to defend democracy, to promote democracy, you know, with help from the allies, 
that didn't happen in East Germany, that socialization. And so a lot of things come together, which maybe offer some explanations. Uh, some people would argue that um, the, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a question of feeling kind of left behind and not economically as strong as other parts of the country. I mean, you have similar discussions in the U.S. However, this group shows that, you know, these were not poor people who were planning this. These are, you know, lawyers, doctor, a prince, <laughs> a, a former member of parliament, policemen. So as it was with the Nazi time, it comes from the middle of the bourgeoisie, uh, the people who promote this kind of ideas. Right, right. Well, as always, those who are really poor uh, don't have the opportunity to participate in this. It tends to be those who who we, we say in, in English have downward mobility, right? People who think they should be doing better than they are, and they fear that they're going the wrong way. Uh, you did, I think, allude to the issue of immigration, and that's certainly a big issue in the United States in motivating right-wing extremism in France. Is that true in Germany as well? Absolutely. So we see that this Reichsbürger exists uh, since the 1980s, but only since, you know, mid-2010s have there been a, you know, a renaissance also in the public, you know, showing of these groups. And that is, I think, very obviously linked to the refugee uh, groups that came to Germany during that time and the discussion that started about refugees during that time. And then, you know, there have been other things happening. Maybe even before that, there was a financial crisis. Then was a refugee crisis. Now there's corona crisis. Now we have energy crisis, which uh, we haven't talked about that yet. But they also founded this group, uh, was uh, seeking contacts to Russia and uh, trying to, you know, start negotiations with them. Some of these Reichsbürger have like exile governments. So they um, put people in power that are uh, the actual government of the actual German Reich, as they see it, and, and seek a you know, peace treaty with, with Russia. We kind of laugh about it because it's so ridiculous at some point, and, but it's, you know, it, it can be very dangerous. And, and I did want to ask about Russia um, because it's a, obviously an issue we deal with in the U.S. as well and with the war in Ukraine and Russian aggression in Ukraine. It, it's only more significant every day. To what extent do you see evidence of the Russian government and per, those working for uh, Vladimir Putin perhaps trying to manipulate this movement? Um, I think there is connections. Obviously, they feel connected to Russia. Uh, we know the AFD are the biggest defenders of Russia in the German parliament and the German political scene. They're, uh, they tried, like I said, to, to form ties now with uh, with Russia. Uh, I don't know. Uh, the, the federal prosecutor said that they don't know that Russia responded to this attempt. So I don't know if there was like an actual cooperation with this specific group. However, we know from the past that in this whole conspiracy scene, the, Russia plays a very active part. Um, there have been investigations showing that a lot of the anti-vaccination com conspiracy groups uh, are fed from Russia and are, uh, the channels on Telegram and stuff are uh, actually managed from Russia. And um, it's a gateway. If you start 
telling people that vaccines are dangerous. And I'm talking about the anti-vaccine groups before Corona vaccine discussion. Like even before that, there were people who were just generally anti-vaccines. And that's a gateway to open people's mind to the idea that what they are telling you, those people in the government, it's not true. And from there, they start feeding you other stuff. And we know from even before this happened and before the war that Russia plays an active part in this kind of disinformation and conspiracy theory uh, um, spreading. Absolutely. And and they, they made a science, as you say, of, of using the Internet as a gateway to uh, encouraging distrust and uh, often um, violence against governments and others. So so that, that certainly fits with a pattern of Russian behavior. Um, and, and everything you're describing has so many parallels in the United States, uh, of course. I, I, would, I would point out that your discussion of the dilemmas of how to deal with members of parliament who might be uh, collaborating with these extreme groups. Of course, we have the same issue in the United States. We have members of the House of Representatives who uh, were supportive and in many ways uh, collaborated with those who led the insurrection, a violent insurrection at the Capitol on January 6th, 2021. Many of them are in, are in our parliament, in our Congress right now. And it's a difficult issue. How do you expel people like that? What, what are the appropriate moves? What is the German government and what are you as a member of the German government trying to do? What is your strategy toward dealing with these groups, knowledgeable of the history of them? That you that you bring to the table. Yeah, so I think for one and one part, you have to look obviously at the security service services and that they keep a close eye and close tap on these groups and really um, see the threat that they pose on democracy. Because even conservatives in Germany and the CDU even were pretty, you know, hesitant to react to these raids in the past week. So the leader of the opposition didn't say anything for a week about it. And just yesterday he made a statement kind of, yeah, it was good that, you know, they were raided. A lot of conservative commentators were like downplaying it, saying that, oh, they took uh, down a group of uh, uh, of pension, how do you say it? <laughs> like old people, you know, with crazy ideas. And... Um, so so one big part of it is take it seriously and really, you know, put your apparatus that we do have to protect our democracy to work to really deal with this threat. And um, on the other hand, obviously, to try to address the roots, why people even turn to this type of ideology. And uh, Corona was a big problem. People were very lonely. So... Everything you do, I think, to bring people together and strengthen the democracy will help you, you know, avoid people drifting away into this kinds of uh, conspiracy thinking. So, so what I hear you saying is there has to be a deeper approach at uh, addressing the roots of uh, alienation, the roots of despair, the roots of disconnection that so many people feel. There have been also like very immediate measures that we are discussing, like uh, we are discussing now whether we should um, tighten our weapon uh, holding laws. I know in the U.S. it's a very uh, <laughs> uh, emotional issue in Germany, not so much, but we already have pretty strict laws in terms of who is allowed to uh, to buy and uh, have weapons, but to make it even more restrictive. And also a very important part of it, because a lot of these people who are active in these groups came from, you know, the police and the army. 
to make it easier to remove people from public service who are known to, you know, have ideas, follow ideas that are, are anti-democratic. It's striking to me, Isabel, that in both of our societies, despite the differences, very big differences in gun laws, um, one similarity is in the uh, events we've seen around the, the U.S. Capitol on January 6th and the events you're describing, you do see a very large number of police and military uh, officials or former police and military officials involved. And that's worrisome, right, when you're saying that we have to strengthen the security services. How can we be sure we're not strengthening the people who are the the source of this problem? Well, I think part of strengthening the security services is uh, strengthening the people's democratic, you know, beliefs and views within those services and being very uh, ruthless about removing people from these services that do not share those ideas. And that doesn't mean that you distrust the service. It means you actually care about these services and are strengthening them. Uh, by removing people who do not belong in these types of jobs. This has been uh, so insightful. And for our listeners who I think um, uh, know more about the United States perhaps than Germany, I think the the parallels in what you're describing are chillingly similar. They really are. Um, and, and we always like to close, Isabel, with an optimistic note. Uh, I know you're an optimist. You bring uh, youthful optimism to the German Bundestag. I wish we had more members like you in our system in the U.S. also. Uh, what do you see as the, the tasks that ordinary citizens, those who are listening to us, uh, that they can do to help? How can they use this history and knowledge that you've shared with them of your society and perhaps their society if they're in the United States? How can they use this information to be part of the solution and not part of the problem? I think the most important thing is to engage with society, with people, to have these discussions. If you hear people saying crazy stuff, spreading conspiracy theories, you have to say something and not, you know, teach them not to be arrogant with them, but engage in discussions. Even sometimes we don't want to feel tired and uh, feel like, oh, whatever, you know, you can't change anything. I think it's important to create a, a society where there is truth and accepted truth and not just uh, different versions of the truth uh, around. And um, we can only enforce that by really engaging and having these discussions and but also you know looking out for each other if people are drifting away are you know cooped out inside uh, too much spend too much time online and you feel like <laughs> they are kind of leaving the uh, the path of, of a normal society you know reach out and and try you know to look out for one another it's so important, right? As, as Eli Wiesel reminded us, silence is a choice and democracy and truth must be defended, uh, not simply passively allowed to disintegrate before our eyes. I think that's what you're reminding us of. Zachary, uh, as, as a young person who cares deeply about these issues and confronts these issues every day in our society, the United States, both when you go online and when you see people saying uh, ridiculous conspiracy things of one kind or another. Uh, how does this discussion of what's happening in Germany help you to think through these issues? Well, I think one of the things that's so inspiring about this discussion is uh, I think what what, it, what has helped me realize, and I hope it has helped our listeners realize as well, is that our dedication to democracy is mirrored uh, and, and reflected and enhanced around the world. And that I would hope uh, 
and and perhaps most strongly symbolized by the people of Ukraine, we are seeing a renewed dedication around the world to democracy and uh, to uh, taking all threats to democracy seriously and seriously dedicating ourselves uh, to protecting democracy in our daily lives and in our roles as public servants and professionals. And it's why we do this podcast each week, isn't right. it? And I, I think it's why our listeners uh, listen. Final uh, words, uh, Isabel, are you optimistic? Absolutely. I think actually this raid was a good day for democracy because we, sh- we showed that we, we will defend our democracy and it is valuable to us. And there's a lot of people uh, working every day to make it work better and for more people. So I'm absolutely optimistic that things will, you know, get better. I mean, 22 was a rough year, but it can only yes. get better, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am optimistic, as I've told you before, Isabel, because we have people like you, like Isabel Kadamertori, uh, in uh, major democratic legislatures around the world. I think a young generation of people who care about democracy and care about the truth uh, and have some historical knowledge, uh, those who listen to our podcast, uh, make our democracy stronger. And, and having you uh, in the German parliament, I think, makes makes a huge Huge difference. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today, Isabel Kadamatori. Thanks so much. Zachary, thank you as well. Uh, I hope our listeners will follow Isabel, by the way. You can look her up uh, on Twitter and Facebook and, and elsewhere. And if you want to practice your German, following her news updates will, will help you to practice your German. That's one of the ways Zachary and I use her, <laughs> use her social media. Uh, <laughs> And, and most of all, I want to thank our loyal listeners for joining us for this episode of This Is Democracy. This podcast is produced by the Liberal Arts ITS Development Studio and the College of Liberal Arts at the University of Texas at Austin. The music in this episode was written and recorded by Harris Codini. Stay tuned for a new episode every week. You can find This Is Democracy on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. See you next time.